Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for another morning. We are more and more aware, Father, that we didn't deserve this day. Thank you, God, for a beautiful fall morning with blue skies and sunshine. It's not too cool and it's not too hot. And thank you for bringing us here. Father, some of us are really aware of it. Some of us not so much. All of us in need of you. We come, God, to your word desperately saying, Father, speak to us. Give us life. Build us up. Give us faith. Increase our faith. Show us love. Forgive us of our sins. Pour your mercy and grace all over us that we might stand in the name of Christ. Father, we thank you for Jesus. For apart from him, we are utterly and totally helpless. But in him, we are strong. We are yours. And today, God, build us up in this truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would please turn in the Bible to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. If you're using a pew Bible, the black Bible's there in front of you. This page 996. And I would ask you to turn there. Uh, I know you're good at listening, but if you follow and listen, that will be even better. That's page 996 in the Pew Bible, and some of y'all uh, might have noticed that this is the first time in a really, 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 really long time that I've not asked you to turn to the book of Exodus. And just two weeks ago, the last time I preached, we finished up the book of Exodus, and so we're not going to be there anymore. Um, and so here's how we're, what we're going to do. I'm going to preach on a few things that I have in mind that I've been wanting to preach on, uh, and that'll get us close enough to the holidays, and then I'll do a whole series on Christmas sermons, okay? So I'll do some series on Christmas sermons once we get a little bit closer, but I've got uh, three or four sermons that I want to do that are on my heart and mind. We'll just go topical here for a little bit. And then once we get past Christmas and into the new year, then we'll start us up another book in the Bible and we'll go from there verse by verse like we're used to doing. So hope y'all don't get upset with that. And I hope that uh, you're ready to hear from God's word. I do want to say a big thank you to our church. I thought last Sunday was awesome uh, as our homecoming service as we celebrated 98 years. Uh, awesome day, fun day. Um, encouraging day, lots of people, a lot of community interaction. Uh, it was awesome. And so uh, it took a lot to make that work. There was a lot of food. There was a lot of love, a lot of welcoming. So uh, all of you that worked to make that happen, thank you, thank you, thank you. A good day in the life of our church. Um, and then I also want to say that uh, Micah did a great job with the songs today. I think y'all noticed that too. I love those songs. Uh, Hallelujah, what a Savior. Crown Him with many crowns are just two of the best. Uh, Micah, great job with that. I was kind of noticing before the music today that Micah had an extra hop in his step, a bigger smile on his face. And then I remembered that Micah just had a baby. And so uh, we are happy. We are happy for that. I didn't get to mention it last week with it being homecoming and doing the baptisms. Uh, but we're happy for Micah and Rachel as they have a new baby now. And, uh, you know, that I believe that, that having a baby will do that to you. It will make you a happier man. And so, Micah, we're happy for you, too. When we come to the Bible, John chapter 16, we're going to start at verse 25 today. But before we do, I just want to paint a picture for you. The last several weeks for many of us, and, and, and you might say for all of us, have been a little bit tough on the heart. Been some heavy days here recently. Uh, in the last month, Val and I have announced to you all that we are uh, expecting another child, and we are, we are thrilled at that. And 
the idea of having five children is, is somewhat overwhelming. Y'all know that I'm not really prepared for that. Um, but I'm excited about it. I really am. I, I want to be the dad of, of another child. Uh, you know what I'm also excited about? I'm excited about raising our, our children with, with you all. I think that y'all do a good job of knowing them and loving them and supporting them. But there have been many times over the last month, of course, Val and I have known a little bit longer than y'all have, um, that she was pregnant. But there's been many times over the last month or so where I found myself tired and just sitting down thinking and, and, and in a little bit of a humorous way going, what, where am I at in life? What, is, what has happened to me? I've joked with Micah several times since his baby was born about having a children is a big responsibility. And yet I started thinking to myself, wow, this is a big deal. I've got four kids and a fifth on the way that are going to look to me and Val for everything. You know, you've heard me many times talk about my parents and how thankful I am for them and, and what an impact they've had upon my life and how they've raised me. And, and that's been huge. But then to look back and say, now, now I've got to do that with these kids is, is, is such a big deal. And in the midst of all of those sort of thoughts, life's been hard in other ways. Our church has experienced in the last 10 days two funerals, two really hard ones. One of a 27-year-old that's related to a church member here. The other of a 92-year-old that's been in our church for such a long time. Two different ends of the spectrum, two totally different scenarios, both very, very difficult. Heart's been heavy. Not to mention that we, on one night, asked you all in a church this size to provide meals for homecoming 300 people, a family that just had a baby, we're going to try to give them meals every day, and then meals to two different funeral homes to take care of those families. Y'all are probably tired. Not to mention that we went through one of the biggest um, remodel upgrades that we've done on our church's building leading right up to homecoming. That wore us out. And then not to mention all of the countless things that are going on in your personal lives outside of here. Like when your sister calls and says that she's 30 years old and just found out that she has rheumatoid arthritis. My sister's 30. You don't hear of 30-year-olds with rheumatoid arthritis. They got her on chemo. She's already fallen three times just walking. She's got two little kids. It's heavy. That's just my life. That's just a few things that are going on in my little world. And I know that y'all have it so much more. Or what about the family that called me this week that that y'all don't necessarily know? They're really, really going through a hard time. The grandmother that's trying to raise the multiple, multiple children who are young, but that no longer works and is no longer able to work, doesn't have income. And there's not a man there to help them get some income. She literally has nothing to do. She's raising the three little babies, so how's she going to go to work? I didn't know what to tell her. I did not know what to tell her. And if I just say, well, listen, if you'll trust in God, it'll all be okay. That seems to pull up a little bit short, doesn't it? It seems to not provide her with what she's looking for right now. And my heart's heavy. And in many ways, I had to watch her walk away, drive away with such a brokenness. You know what I'm reminded of? This better not be all there is. This better not be all that life's about. 
God better not have just made us for these short little thrills. Some days are good. Some days are bad. Some seasons are good. Some seasons are bad. Life tends to be that way. You've been through it before. You'll get past it. This too shall pass. Life goes on. But it seems to go that way. I want to remind you here today that that is not an attitude or an emotion that is foreign. That is not something that you on your little island are going through and everybody else has it all good. I want to encourage you here today. That's what we all experience. Now, don't let me say that all of our circumstances are the same. I know that many people are going through such a difficult, difficult time. Some people are so very tired and exhausted, they don't see how they can keep going on. Some people are working all that they can, saving all that they can, and life circumstances have put them in a position where even then the money is not making ends meet. Life is like that. And then you tie all that together. You have the huge responsibility on you that you know that life's about God. You want to do the right thing. You love Him. You desire to obey Him, do well, serve Christ, make a difference in the world. And yet, how can you? I want to encourage you that life is that way. And that should not be something that causes us to run. That should not be something that causes us to doubt. That should be something that causes us to hold on to the anchor. That should be something that causes us to realize there's more, there's better, there's greater out there. May I wait for it. This is what Paul's referring to in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Don't turn there. Where he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are in this spot, in this position to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We don't want you thinking that we are strong. We don't want you thinking that we are a powerful people. It's not the case. It's God. But listen to what he says. And this is what I have as the title of this sermon in your bulletin. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but we have not been forsaken. Struck down, we have been, but we are not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our body. Y'all, the Apostle Paul, the hero of the faith to us, the one who God came to and, and, and showed Jesus to and caused to be our leader, the one writing New Testament books to us, the Apostle Paul says, crushed or pressed, but not crushed. Paul knew life to be hard, frustrating, upsetting, not the way I expected it to be. Not defeating. Not defeating. He was pressed, but he was not crushed. In our passage today in John chapter 16, we have Jesus speaking to this very thing. He's with his disciples and he knows that they're about to enter into that. What we have here is the Lord Jesus, who is God himself, who knows exactly what our tomorrow is going to look like. Think about that. You and I have really no idea what Monday morning, October the 27th is going to look like. We have no idea. 
And for some of us, it may be fantastic, but for some of us, or maybe just one of us, it might be horrible tomorrow. We don't know. But Jesus does. Jesus is God who has ordained every day already. And so when he's speaking to his disciples about what's to come in John chapter 16, he speaks to them about this very thing. Read with me, if you will, at John chapter 16, verse 25. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. And now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you'll be scattered, each to his own home and and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I want to give you two points today. I want to keep it very simple. This is something that's been on my heart. Number one, Jesus is the key to understanding God. Jesus is the key to understanding God. Number two, Jesus is the ultimate difference maker when life gets hard. Jesus is the ultimate difference maker when life gets hard. Number one, Jesus is the key to understanding God. Look with me at verse 25. Jesus says, I've said these things to you in figures of speech. And he has. Jesus has been teaching them for quite some time. And sometimes he was telling a parable. Sometimes he was giving a metaphor. Sometimes he was trying to explain people in ways that were a little bit different and wasn't speaking plainly like they were wanting him to. And there's many different reasons for that. But I want to tell you the main reason that Jesus is doing that is because Jesus has come on a mission to die on the cross. The Bible teaches us that before the foundation of the world, God had planned that Jesus would die on the cross to redeem God's people. And so, Jesus knows that the very reason he came is to die. And so nothing can get in the way of that. Jesus is on his way to the cross. He's not going to come out up front the first time they see him and just go, "Okay, guys, about three years from now, I'm going to die. Y'all be ready for it. That's not the way he's done it. Now, he's hinted at it. There's been many figures of speech to point to that. And you and I have seen those. We would say the whole Bible has been leading us to that point. But he hasn't necessarily said everything perfectly clear and very plain. He's been talking in figures of speech. He's been... Somebody. He's been talking in ways. okay? he's been talking in ways that sometimes they understood and maybe sometimes they didn't. He'll say, well, you'll understand a little bit later. He's been talking in ways that sometimes some of the people would understand, but some of the people would not understand. Right. He's been talking in different ways. And I want to remind you today that there's a lot of talk about God, a lot of discussion about God, a lot of different views about God going on out there. Which ones are right? I heard somebody say this week, yeah, but there's just there's just so many views. I mean, how can we really know? That's what I'm telling you here today. And may the God of the Bible and the God of truth reveal this to you. 
that the key to understanding God is Jesus. Notice what happens next. He says, the hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. There's coming a time right here in John chapter 16 where they will get there and everything will be clear and plain. Jesus will speak to them about the Father and they will say, yes, okay, that makes sense. Okay, I understand this now. That will make sense. There's coming a time when we can. Folks, I want you to know right now that it is possible today to be clear on who God is and what he's about. We are no longer living in the time where it is, is blurry. Let's keep going. Verse 26, in that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. He's not saying that. Verse 27, for the Father himself loves you. What a statement. These people are trying to understand if they are the people of God. These people who are looking at Jesus Christ as the one who they think has come from God, as the one who is the prophet, like there's never been a prophet before, as the one who seems to know all things, as the one who seems to have power to do all things, the one who they have already seen calm the storm and raise the dead and heal the paralyzed and so on and so on and so on. As that one, they're looking at him like, wow, there really has not been anybody else like you. We've seen a lot of good men. We've seen a lot of religious leaders. We've seen a lot of prophets. We've seen a lot of people who have seemed to shake the world with their leadership and their, their, their dynamic. But you're above all of those. There's nobody that teaches like Jesus, walks like Jesus, loves like Jesus, cares like Jesus. Nobody has. And now Jesus says, I want you to know that the Father loves you. Trust me on this one, that the Father loves you. And that's what he tells them, but he explains a little bit further. He says, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Now, let's hold up for just a second. He is not saying right here that the reason why the Father loves you is because you are believing in me. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is that I know that the Father loves you because you are believing in me. When I look and see that you are believing in me, when I look and see that you are following me because you know me, that is a sign to me that the Father loves you. Folks, listen here. The Bible tells us in 1 John 4.19, this is Eli's memory verse for kindergarten this week. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. The Bible teaches us that apart from him, we can do nothing. The Bible teaches us, can the Ethiopian change his skin or can the leopard change his spots? The obvious answer is no, no, no. And then it says, well, then you too can do good who are accustomed to doing evil, meaning we can't. We don't have the ability to get ourselves up and wash away our sins and come to God and say, God, I'm here to worship you now. It just dawned on me that that is why you created me for your glory, for 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 your worship and for your praise. And so I think I'm going to start doing it. I'm just going to turn myself around. The Bible says that never happens. It does not happen. No, God works in our hearts. And what happens when God works in our hearts is a response now to God. God loves me. He's convicted me of my sins. And He's given me the strength to confess my sins and say, Father, forgive me of my sins. That's what happens in the new birth. That's what happens when God is at work in your life and the Holy Spirit is convicting you of your sins. You're like, I want to confess my sins to God. I want to say, God, will you forgive me of my sins? God, I realize that I, I haven't lived up to be this great person. I've got flaws. I've got shortcomings. I've got a bad past that I'm, I'm not proud of. And the Bible says that God loves us in that position that we would repent out of that position and say, God, will you forgive me? And the Bible says that God rejoices to say, yes, I forgive you. I killed Jesus to forgive you. Jesus' son, Jesus' blood washes away your sins and you're forgiven, you're loved. 
And this is what Jesus is saying here. Because you have loved me, and because you believe that I came from God, I know that the Father Himself loves you. I want to ask you here today, do you, do you feel strongly that God Almighty loves you? Do you feel comfortable? Do you feel confident? Do you feel certain that God, maker of heaven and earth, Father God, loves you? How do you feel about that? Is that an anchor to your soul? Does that build you up? He says, I know that God loves you from what I'm seeing in you. Verse 28. I came from the Father and have come into the world. And now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. Jesus there is giving us like a a commentary, an explanation of, of who he is. Look what he says. I came from the Father. What does that mean? Jesus, who's here on earth, came from God the Father, who's in heaven? Yes. We call that the incarnation. God in heaven came to earth. God became a man. He put on flesh. He never had flesh until back 2,000 years ago when he was born of the Virgin Mary. He never did. God was not a human. God was not in the flesh. God was, God was a spirit, like he remains a spirit today. But in the incarnation, when, when Virgin Mary got pregnant because of God doing that to her, Jesus was born, and then we had God in the flesh, and he's saying, I came. Jesus is saying, I came from the Father. Look, and I've come into the world. He came from the Father. Where did he come to? He came into the world. Right there in Bethlehem, all of a sudden, God is now living and breathing and functioning on planet Earth. We can go back to where he was born, where he was raised, where he died. We know where those places are in the Middle East. He came into the world, the third thing. And now I'm leaving the world, going to the Father. He wasn't staying here long. I told you he came on a mission. He had a purpose. He had a plan. So he came to do. Now, remember, my first point is that Jesus is the key to understanding God. Listen, if you don't understand that these things that God is doing in having a son and sending him, sending the son to be on earth, sending the son to be on earth for a little bit and then leave earth. If those things don't make sense to you, then God is not going to make sense to you. But listen here. This is not because God's confusing. This rather this is because we are confused. This is not because God's confusing, but rather this is because we are confused. There's no point that seems to be plain as day to me than people who are without understanding of the person and work of Jesus are confused. If you don't understand that you need forgiveness, you are confused. Would you admit that today? If you think that you are so good that you don't need to be forgiven, you're confused. If you think that because of your sins and everybody else's sins, that forgiveness is not needed, then that's confusing. That's confusing. You're confused. We have to understand Jesus, who he is, what he's done, what that does, what that means in order to understand God. After he does that explaining in verse 28, look at verse 29. His disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly. Not using figurative speech. All of a sudden, things start to make a little bit of sense. And if you will, follow along just a little bit. Turn with me back to chapter 13. And if you like your Bible and you like to navigate your Bible, I'm just going to hit real quickly about, I don't know, about seven or eight different verses starting in chapter 13. I want you to follow along and see how this has progressed to this. At John chapter 13, verse 1, it says... Now, before the feast of the Passover, 
I hear some pages turning still. All right, John chapter 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew, listen to this, knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the fathers. Everybody see that? Well, don't you remember what I just read in chapter 16, verse 28, where he says, I came from the father. I came into the world and I'm leaving out of the world. Right. I just said that. He just said that. Well, chapter 13, he says, now's the time. So he gets up. You know this story. He gets up from the table. He grabs a towel. He grabs some water. Look at verse. And then he washes the disciples feet. Now look at verse seven. Peter says in verse six, Lord, you're going to wash my feet. Jesus answered him what I am doing. You do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Does everybody see that? Jesus is saying that understanding him is important to understanding what God's doing. And he tells Peter, right now you don't understand it. But you will. But you will. Because Jesus is about to go and die. And he's about to come back to life. And then all will make sense. Jump over to chapter 14 now. Chapter 14, beginning in verse 2. In my Father's house, Jesus is talking about heaven. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. There's the, Jesus, there's the words of Jesus. You know where I'm going to heaven. Look what Thomas says next. Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? See, the disciples did not fully understand. Jesus says, I'm going to get heaven ready. The disciples answer back, no, we don't know where you're going. What is that place? And where are you going? And how are you going? And how can we get there? These are the questions to which Jesus answers back in verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Listen, if no one comes to the Father except through Christ, listen, no one understands the Father except through Christ. That's not a hard step to make. Keep going just a little bit further, though, to verse eight. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father. and It is enough for us. So he's like, I don't understand this. Just show us God already. Verse nine, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? In other words, Jesus is saying, I am God. See, when you come to believe that Jesus is God because you know that he is God and the Bible explains to us he's God, then seeing him die makes everything click. And man dying to save us from our sins doesn't seem to make all the dots connect. But God dying for the removal of sins makes sense. The holy dying for the unholy so that the unholy could be forgiven. And then the holy one being raised to life to show victory over sin and death makes sense. God did that for us to forgive us of our sins. And that's what Jesus is explaining. Drop down to verse 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Notice. If you're trying to believe in God and understand God apart from Jesus, apart from Jesus's Holy Spirit working in you, it will not happen. There will not be understanding. So he says, I will send the Holy Spirit and he will explain things whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. 
Look over to chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Look at this. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now look at verse 18 of chapter 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Jesus said, now's the time. I'm going. Peter, you don't understand this while I'm washing my feet, but you will coming down the road. I'm going to heaven. We don't know where heaven is. Come on, you, you, you know the Father through me. And now he's gotten to the point of saying, hey, they hate me. They're going to hate you. Jesus is explaining so many things right now before his departure, and it's not necessarily all connecting. Look at verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. God will cause us to understand. Now look at chapter 16, verse 1, and we're almost back to our passage. Jesus says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Listen, folks. Many people have tried to make their lives about God without Jesus. And trying to make your life about God without Jesus as a Lord and Savior will only lead, to you, lead you to a point of frustration, of questioning, of confusion that ultimately makes you say, it's not really worth it. It's not really worth it. And while I hate to admit it, sadly, this is the problem with so many churches in America. This is why we have thousands dying every year. Churches closing up shop. Because churches have come to the place, sadly enough, where the people have emphasized other things other than God. And it doesn't take long for a generation or the next generation or the next generation to say, hey, I'm not going to keep doing all of that just because. And if God's not in it, I'm not going to do it. Or worse, God's not in it. There must not be a God. Jesus is emphasizing that people fall away, but he's telling them the truth that they would understand, because when you understand the truth, you will not fall away. Jump down to verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Turn over to verse 17. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I'm going to the father. Verse 18. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. They were confused. They did not understand. As our passage begins today with Jesus continuing to talk in figures of speech that they did not understand. Yet he starts to explain Jesus, especially explaining Jesus, where he came from, why he's here and where he's going back to. And they finally say there in verse 29, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Look at verse 30 in our passage today. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Folks, I know, you, I know you know this, but when somebody knows all things, they are none other than Jesus. I mean, they are none other than God. There is only one ever who knows everything, and that is God Almighty. When the disciples start seeing that Jesus knows all things, they are equating Him to be Jesus. They are understanding this man is God. 
Jesus is God. And that starts to make everything make sense. He's explaining that to them. Jesus is the key to understanding God. Listen to me. Trying to understand God apart from the person and work of Jesus will never work. Furthermore, trying to understand God apart from the Spirit's giving of understanding in the new birth to us on the person and work of Jesus will never make sense. You will find yourself continually questioning and confused and wondering. This is why Jesus explains so much. This is why Jesus is called the great teacher because listen, people listen to him teach and it opened up. I think about our church. Our church has been here for 98 years. Yet I would say that in the last several years, I have had so many people saying to us, people raising their hand during a Wednesday night service, raising their hand on Sunday night service and saying, look, I am more focused on God now than I've ever been in my life. We had an 80 year old one time recently raise her hand and say, I've been in church for 70 years and I understand Jesus now more than I ever have. Another one raised their hand and said, we, we haven't heard somebody teach on Jesus as often as you were teaching on Jesus. They used to teach us the Bible stories, but it wasn't Jesus as much. Folks, if we're into the Bible or into God, apart from understanding the person and work of Jesus, it will lead us nowhere. We'll be a statistic of another group of religious people who make no difference in the world. But when Jesus comes, the very key, the very linchpin, God who came to us in love, died for our sins, forgives us of our sins, does not judge us, but forgives us of our sins and build us up to make a difference in the world. Then we start to be a light, a city, a salt, all of those things that God says who are making a difference. Jesus is the key to understanding God. We've got to get this and not miss this. It's so encouraging to think if we keep emphasizing Jesus, if we keep explaining what God is telling us in the Bible about Jesus as Lord, Savior, Redeemer, friend, all of those things. How many times have you heard somebody say, oh, man, I'm not sure if I can make it to church. I got long hair and tattoos on me and earrings. Not sure if I can make it to church. Show me, please, anybody where God says anything against that, where God says anything about that person not being able to go to church. And whoever sent that message has misrepresented God big time. And no wonder, no wonder the people with that message are dying alone. No wonder. Jesus had a way of caring for people, understanding people, getting into people. Connecting with people, loving people, and freeing people. Folks, if we want to be a church that's about God, we need to understand God. If we want to be a church that helps people connect with God, we need to understand God. And what Jesus is telling us right here is that there is no understanding God apart from Him. God sent Jesus in love. To die for us. To die for the world. And when we believe in Him, we come to know God. Secondly, Jesus is the ultimate difference maker when life gets hard. Look back to verse 30. Now we know. Now we know that you know all such, that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. So, At this point right now, they are saying, we believe that you came from God and we believe that you are God. You know all things and we're understanding that. So Jesus 
answers back in verse 31. Do you now believe? Meaning, you need to believe. A question that we would ask ourselves on a regular basis. Are you believing in Christ? Are you trusting in Him? Are you understanding Christ's perspective? Is your mind set upon Him? Do you now believe the Father? Do you now believe the Son? Do you now believe the message of the Bible, the message of the Gospel? But then he goes on. Verse 32. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. When you'll be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Jesus is saying, y'all don't quite get it, but I'm about to go and die. It's going to be awful. Y'all know the story. They're going to arrest him. They're going to beat him. They're going to beat him again. They're going to spit in his face. They're going to pluck his beard out. They're going to humiliate him. They're going to strip him naked. They're going to hang him on a tree. They're going to literally take nails and nail them through that. They're going to literally take nails and nail them through each leg in front of a huge crowd of people. And they're going to do everything they possibly can to humiliate and destroy Jesus. If that wasn't awkward enough, can you imagine being on Jesus' side? They're going to scatter, all right. They're going to run and hide. They're going to go and try to find a place where they can sit and wonder and cry and pray and think, what has just happened? Jesus knows that. That's why I opened my sermon today the the way that I did, saying, listen, the, the life is that way. Life will lead us to places where, hey, I didn't think I signed up for this. Hey, this is harder than I thought. Hey, I don't think I can go anymore. Life will put you in those positions. And Jesus is saying that very thing, certainly a little bit harder than ours, with them being scattered because their leader had just been crucified on a cross. He says, yet I'm not alone. See, he said he would be left alone, but with the most realist of statements says, I'm not alone. Folks, it was the plan of God, the will of God, to crush Jesus. That's why there's no understanding God apart from Jesus. It's not some random religious historical fact. It is the ultimate fact in the history of the world. God did that. God did that. Jesus says, I will be left alone. And then in verse, at the end of verse 32, he says, yet I'm not alone. The Father is with me. I want to ask you, if your understanding of God has a big point in it that says, while Jesus was on the cross, God the Father was with him, with me on his mind, in love, redeeming me from my sins. Jesus says, the Father was with me. But then look at verse 33. And he gives them a lesson. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. Listen, Jesus knows that you and I need peace. Jesus knows that life lacks peace. Jesus knows that life creates turmoil. Jesus knows that. Jesus knows that many of us walked in here today lacking peace. So he says, I'm saying these things to you. This that I'm teaching you will give you peace. But look. That in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Listen here. Jesus lets them know you're living in the world. 
And in the world, there is tribulation. Hey, listen, if next month you have to call me to say something bad happened, we're not going to be shocked. Tribulation comes. Tribulation will come to me and my family. Tribulation will come to you and your family. That is not the the part there that should confuse any of us. And sadly, many of us Americans have so built up our lives and understanding of life to think that that should not or could not happen to us. And then when it does, everything falls apart and we can't take it. We need to be a people that understand what it means to suffer. Not with smiles on our faces, but with an anchor under our feet. With a foundation strong under us. Jesus says you will have tribulation, but in me. Notice here in this verse, there are two places that we can be. In the world with tribulation, but in him with peace. Jesus is not saying choose between peace and tribulation. That's the prosperity gospel's message, which is a bunch of baloney. You're not going to get here or from Jesus or from the Bible. Jesus says that in the middle of the tribulation, you will stand there in peace. Man, life circumstances right now are horrible and awful and I want to quit and give up. But this God that I have, that loves me, who died for me, who forgives me, doesn't count my sins against me, has given me peace. Don't you love the old song that says there will be peace in the valley for me? Not on a mountaintop. Everybody has peace on a mountaintop. Stop acting like that means something. No, peace in the valley. Peace at our lowest. Peace at, peace at our worst. There'll be peace there. I love it when Psalm 56 says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose words I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? I love it when the Psalm before that, 55 says, Cast your burden on the Lord and He will sustain you. Burdens, anxieties, afflictions, hardships, trials, frustrations, sufferings, sadness, tears, confusion, hurt, all of that stuff. Throw it on the Lord and He will sustain you. He won't take it away, but He'll be enough. He will be enough. Whatever happens in the world, whatever our circumstances are, we can take heart. Why? Because there is something greater than that in the middle of it. Him, His presence. These are not new truths. Sadly, I hope this is not the first time you've heard this, but we need to hear it. One of our favorite old hymns, the Solid Rock says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Hey, don't have a hope in anything else. Your hope can't be in your health. Your hope can't be in your bank account. Have it in Christ. He goes on to say, when darkness veils his lovely face, you know what that means? Life is so dark right now, I cannot see God. That's going to come. That is going to come. There are going to be days so dark where you cannot see God. Charles Spurgeon says that if you cannot see his hand, you have to trust his heart. And the song says, when darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace in every high and stormy gale. That's bad. My anchor holds within the veil. My anchor. I can't see him. Life's dark. Storms are all around me. But there's an anchor sitting right here in my heart that is the Lordship of Jesus Christ that loves me and takes care of me. Forgives me of my sins. Or what about another song? It is well with my soul. One of my favorites. 
When peace like a river, that's a good thing, attends my way. Or when sorrows like sea billows roll. That's a bad thing. So we've got two opposite sides here. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Listen to this line. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control. That Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. The next time you are sitting alone, crying, upset, the next time your kids have let you down so much, you're thinking, what? The next time the marriage is tough, the next time whatever comes along, the next time the doctor gives you bad news, the next time, the next time, the next time, remember, God has told me about this. Jesus has warned me about this. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome that. I have overcome the world. And I'll be honest, at age 34, the world seems short. Life seems so quick and passing. I had somebody just yesterday say, yeah, I noticed your hair starting to turn gray. It does. Life seems to be that way. So quickly, so quickly passing. So quickly passing. Don't act like for a second that these are the main days. Don't act like for a second that this is the most important part. You better know God. You better get right with Him. You better let Him love you and forgive you of your sins. You better turn to Him. In Lamentations chapter 3, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, Jeremiah the prophet is lamenting all that is going wrong in his life. And he is down. He is miserable. He goes on and on about how miserable he is. He says, he, God has made my teeth grind on gravel. He's made me cower in ashes. Listen to this. My soul is bereft of peace. Listen to this line. I have forgotten what happiness is. Everybody in the room right now has somebody in mind who has forgotten what happiness is. I don't know what's happened to our world and our country, but there are many people who have forgotten what happiness is. Jeremiah knows it. This was written a long time ago. He said, I've forgotten what happiness is. Listen. So I say my endurance has perished. I give up. So has my hope from the Lord. I give up. God's given up on me. I I give up. He says, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. He's at his lowest point. He does not know what happiness is anymore. He says, but then I remember this. That the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It may not look like God's loving me right now. But you better believe He is. The cross of Christ tells me something more. Don't define me by my circumstances. His mercies never Come to an end. He has not given up on me. He will not give up on me. Christ loves me and died to save me from my sins. And when we come to believe that, 
The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us and is indeed an anchor to the soul. It is indeed that firm foundation that will not let us fail. I want to ask you today, do you have that anchor? Do you have that confidence like I put in your bulletin? Pressed but not crushed. Calm and confident in Christ. Because circumstances make life happier or sadder. They certainly do. But they don't make life any deeper or any more real or any more true. That comes from God and God alone. We have two trash cans at our house. One of those big, nice blue and gray ones that comes from hometown hauling. That they give us and we roll it around. And then we got one of those little black ones that you buy at like Home Depot or something. And every single time that it rains and storms, one of them gets blown all over the yard. Half the time since Steve Clark's yard, my neighbor, I go go get it. Diapers flying all over the place out the trash can. But the big nice one from hometown hauling, it never moves. Y'all know, those trash cans they give you are big and strong. I can't pick it up. The one that that I bought at the store, I can pick it up with one hand. When it's empty from the road, I just pick it. I pull this one and carry this one. Every time the storm comes, that one trash can is blown all over the place. And the other one's sitting right there where I put it. What's the difference? One has some weight to it. What about your life? You got some weight to it? Some depth to you? You say, I've been here before. I knew about this. My God has prepared me. He's told me it's coming. He's told me it happens. He told me this is not my home. He told me this is not what I'm living for. He's told me this isn't what satisfies me. He is. And He won't let me down. And He won't give up. And He's my strength. He has overcome all of that. May we be strong in Christ. People have some weight to us, some depth to us for his glory. Jesus is the key to understanding God. And Jesus is the ultimate difference maker when life gets hard. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for Jesus in John 16. Thank you, God, for him wanting to communicate and explain so clearly what we need to know about you. God, thank you for revealing to us how truth makes sense and clicks and what leads us often to to still have questions and doubting. Oh, Father, I pray that you would grant understanding to all of us, that you would give us peace in the midst of our tribulations. And God, teach us to realize that our tribulations are not going away. Father, I ask that you would work in us, that we would be strong. Strong, God, in you. Because of you and your strength in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.